Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So, download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, and welcome to the Dynamic Duel Podcast, a weekly show where we review superhero films and debate the superiority between Marvel and DC by comparing their characters in stat-based battle simulations. I'm Marvelous Joe. And I'm his twin brother, Johnny DC. And in this episode, we are going to review the latest DC animated film to come direct to video, The Legion of Superheroes. Which has very little Legion of Superheroes in it. That is true. I was actually surprised. It's mostly a Supergirl film, kind of like how Justice League World War II was more of like a Flash film. You could say Wonder Woman film, but The Flash was definitely the main character of that. This is definitely a Supergirl film. We'll discuss the film in its entirety later on this episode. Before that, we're going to break down the latest comic book movie news to come out this past week, of which there wasn't much. There was just a few small news items, the most prominent of which was that Stephen Yun has joined Marvel's Thunderbolts movie in a, quote, significant role. So that's pretty exciting. As always, we list our segment times in our episode description, so feel free to check out the show notes if you want to skip ahead to a particular topic. Don't forget, guys, to join us on Patreon, where we offer ad-free episodes of the show access to our Discord chat community where you can chat with us and fellow listeners. And you can find it all at patreon.com slash dynamic duel, which is linked in our show notes. Our lowest dynamic 2.0 tier is only two bucks a month. And in our fantastic $4 tier, you get all of that plus access to our monthly bonus episodes, including blooper reels and top 10 shows, as well as the visual data from our dual episodes at no extra cost. And finally, our X-Force tier, which is 10 bucks a month, gets you all that and you get to become an executive producer of this show. Become a part of the Dynamic Duel podcast and help us determine our episode content. Again, visit patreon.com slash dynamic duel and pick a tier that works for you. If you're interested in supporting the show but not able to join Patreon, then stop by our website dynamicduel.com and subscribe to our weekly newsletter where we keep you informed on all things going on with the show. And we want to give a super special happy birthday shout out to Miggy Matangian and AJ Dunkerley, who both support the show and had birthdays this past week. Yeah, on the same day. They're twins. Miggy, if I could get you one thing from the DC Universe for your birthday, I would get you Starfire's phone number. And I'll get you the phone number of Emma Frost because Starfire is a hoe for show and Emma Frost is a classy ass lady. How dare you talk about Starfire that way? <laughs> How dare you? AJ Dunkerley, I would give you your very own hit monkey. It's a pet <laughs> and an assassin. Well, on the DC side of things, I would get you 
Wonder Woman's phone number. <laughs> I think you'll like my gift more. All right. Just, you know, just having the number doesn't like guarantee a date or anything, you know? Hey, I, I could only open the door for you, man. You got to go the rest of the way. <laughs> uh, happy birthday again, guys. Uh, but with that out of the way, quick to the no prize. A no prize is an award Marvel used to give out up until the 90s to fans. Our version, the Dynamic Dual No Prize, is a digital award we post on Instagram and in our newsletter for the person that we feel gave the best answer to our question of the week. Last week's question we asked, if you could be any character from either Marvel or DC, who would you be and why? And we got so many fantastic answers here that Jonathan and I have decided to kind of change up how we present these awards. So... Basically, we always run down our honorable mentions and the no prize winner and then, you know, give a special thank you to those who took the time to call in with their answer. But from now on, if you don't make it onto the show, if you don't make one of the honorable mentions or the no prize winner, we're still going to discuss your answers on our Discord server in the question of the week channel. So if you are a patron and part of our community, not only will you get to hear all the answers, but you also get to discuss them with us. So join up if you're not a member. That being said, our first honorable mention goes to Matt Lamb, who said, Hey guys, Matt Lamb here. So I would definitely be Green Arrow. Um, I do archery myself, so I'd love the enhanced skill, the athleticism, the hand-to-hand combat training, and the trick arrows. Uh, my wife, her favorite character is Black Canary. Um, we both love the Mike Grell run and love the fact that they have a floor shop called Sherwood Florist. And also the wedding cake topper at our wedding. Uh, was designed to look like the one from the cover of Green Arrow and Black Canary's wedding special. Heck, Matt Lamb, it sounds like you're already like 80% of the way to being Green Arrow already. Right. You know, you just need to take some martial arts classes and maybe some gymnastics and you're there, buddy. Just need to like spend a couple of years on a deserted island alone, <laughs> you know, and, and yeah. that's it. Yep. And then I guess your wife can um, learn how to alter the frequency of her voice to like shatter glass with it or something. I don't know. There's only so far you could get without actual superpowers in terms of Black Canary. But yeah, great answer. Our next honorable mention goes to Lizzie Dyer Arnie, who said, Hey, it's Lizzie. When I grow up, I want to be Big Barda. Barda is literally the biggest character in the DC universe. She's a badass warrior, wife, and in some universes, mother. She's been subverting gender roles since 1971 and is never afraid to help others. Barda shows that not just in size, but also in heart and personality, bigger is better. Yeah, Big Barda is an amazing character that we have not yet featured on this show. We actually have plans to include her in an episode leading up to the Guardians of the Galaxy 3 movie review that we're doing. So she's coming up soon. But yeah, she's a big, she's a big girl. She's a big girl. Yeah, she's probably like the most popular hero on DC that we have yet to do a duel with. So I'm really looking forward to that one. Yeah, she's a great fighter. She's a great lover. She's married to Scott Free, I believe. Yeah, Mr. Miracle. In like a true sincere romance, like definitely one of DC's best couples. So great answer, Lizzie. Our next honorable mention goes to Banjo Cullen, who said, Banjo Cullen here. I would personally want to be Spider-Man. Of course, I'd be sad about my uncle dying and all, but dude, the Spider-Man powers are so cool. Best power set. I, I mean, Superman's powers are also cool. I can like fly, but it's a bit overpowered, and I don't also want to be Batman, otherwise I'll just be a sad orphan. So Spider-Man, it's balance, and climb walls would be awesome. Anyway, Banjo out. 
Hell yeah, Spider-Man has the best power set. You know, you could swing through the city, defy gravity by climbing up walls and ceilings like you mentioned, but I think actually his most practical power is probably his spider sense. If you were Spider-Man, you could go through much of life without worrying about getting hit by a bus or something, although Peter Parker's life does kind of suck regardless. Right. But um, the powers is where it's at. Yeah, I mean, he was calling Batman a sad orphan, and I was like, isn't that what Spider-Man is? I mean, Spider-Man's not mopey like Batman, you know? He still jokes around. Batman's just a sad loser. Yeah, a rich one, unlike poor-ass Spider-Man. Well, sometimes Peter Parker has money, but uh, yeah, he's no Bruce Wayne. We'll say that. So, great answer, Banjo. We want to give a quick shout-out to Luke B., Rick McGrew, John Starosky, Eli Morehouse, Miggy Mathangian, Logan Schroeder, Benjamin Ryan, Brandon Estergaard, and Mitchell for taking the time to visit our website and record an answer. Join us on our Discord server by becoming a patron, where we'll post the audio of your answers and discuss them. But the winner of this week's no prize is Christian Rubito, who said, Hey, this is Christian Rubito. I'm going to go with Booster Gold. I think he's funny. He's fun-loving. He's got all the cool superhuman powers like strength, speed, durability, force field, energy blasts, without going through a freak accident. He can also time travel, which is pretty cool. All this without having any of the same pressure that Superman or Batman does, because no one knows who he is. So if he does succeed, it's a win. So therefore, I'm going to submit Booster Gold. Yeah, Booster Gold is famously touted as the greatest superhero you've never heard of, but I think that would actually come with a lot of benefits. You know, you're not going to like be hounded by like the press or the paparazzi or anything like that, and he just has an insanely cool power set. Whether it's a force field or a tractor beam or time travel, it's all awesome. Yeah, I was actually surprised when we got this answer. It was very unexpected, actually. But Christian absolutely has a point. There's almost only all upside to being Booster Gold. He is pretty much the everyman of superheroes. So congrats to Christian for winning this week's No Prize. If you, the listener, want a shot at winning your own No Prize, stay tuned to later on this episode when we'll be asking another question of the week. And now that that's done, on to the news. All right, this past week we learned that Steven Yun is going to star in the Marvel Phase 5 movie, The Thunderbolts, in an as-yet-undisclosed role. Steven Yun, of course, is a phenomenal actor. For those of you who may not know, he was in The Walking Dead television series. He does the voice of Invincible in the Invincible television series on Amazon. He recently got nominated for an Oscar for his role in a movie called Minari. And he was also in the recent movie Nope. Right, yeah, that's where I've seen him last. He's a great up-and-coming actor, although I feel like he's been up-and-coming for almost a decade now. So it's really nice to see him finally get his due with a sizable live-action part in a Marvel movie. I mean, Um, I think the Oscar is more a sign that he's arrived than getting a Marvel role. I mean, an Oscar is one thing. That's fine. Sure. Marvel movie is forever. (laughs) A role in a Marvel movie, for sure. According to Deadline, whatever role Steven Yeun is going to play in the Thunderbolts will likely be a role that he'll carry forward in future films of the MCU. So it seems like he's not going to be a villain because a lot of Marvel villains are kind of one and done. Possibly not. Now, it is rumored that the villain of the Thunderbolts movie is going to be the Sentry, uh, who is a ridiculously overpowered character in Marvel. He's kind of like Superman, but way stronger Um, The going rumor is that the Contessa Valentina Allegra da Fontaine has something to do with creating the century as part of an effort to recreate the super soldier program and it gets out of hand. And so she has to put together the Thunderbolts team to help stop the century. 
which sounds very similar to the original plot of the Suicide Squad movie where the Suicide Squad was tasked with taking down Black Adam. Well, no, that wasn't the original idea for the first Suicide Squad movie. It was the idea for Doug Lyman's Suicide Squad film specifically. Oh, all right. Either way, it's a pretty solid concept. I would love to see that play out on screen if that happens. Steven Yeun would be an interesting choice to play the Sentry. But if I had to put my money on anyone, I think it would be Amadeus Cho. Yeah, he's Hulk related, right? I don't know much about him. Yeah, Amadeus Cho is a ally of Bruce Banner's. He's another scientist, like the seventh smartest person in the world. And he developed a way to siphon off radiation from the Hulk using nanites in an effort to cure one of the Hulk's afflictions. And he ended up getting bombarded with the Hulk's powers himself, becoming the character known as the Totally Awesome Hulk. Uh, We've seen Amadeus Cho's mother appear in the MCU in a previous film, Avengers Age of Ultron. She was the Korean scientist who was an associate of Tony Stark's and helped Ultron, against her will, create the android Vision. Oh, no way. That's cool. So Steven Yeun would be playing her son, possibly aged up due to the blip or something like that. But yeah, I think he'd be a great addition to the MCU. If he ends up being someone who also figures out how to recreate the Hulk's abilities, that's possibly how we might see Harrison Ford get his Red Hulk powers, since we know that Harrison Ford is playing General Thunderbolt Ross, or actually President Thunderbolt Ross, in the Thunderbolts film. I'm like really looking forward to this movie. As much of a ripoff as as it sounds of Doug Lyman's Suicide Squad, it's still something I'm excited to see. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. It should be everything that the first Suicide Squad movie wasn't. I was going to say that the Suicide Squad should be, but, you know, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad film was pretty much that. Yeah, that was fantastic. The Thunderbolts film comes out next year in the middle of the summer on July 26th, but we should be getting some kind of report within the next few months of exactly who Steven Yeun is playing. Yeah, considering this film is going to have characters like Sentry and maybe Hulk and Red Hulk and Winter Soldier and all of those badasses, the film is going to have a ton of action. And that brings us to our question of the week. What has been your favorite fight scene in a Marvel or DC movie and why? Record your answer at dynamicduel.com by clicking on the red microphone button in the bottom right-hand corner, which will prompt you to leave us a voicemail. Your message could be up to 30 seconds long, and don't forget to leave your name in case we include you on the podcast. We'll pick our favorite answer and award that person a Dynamic Duel No Prize that we'll post to Instagram and our email newsletter. Be sure to answer before March 4th. And don't forget, guys, we'll be posting all of your answers to our Discord channel for discussion, whether you make it on the episode or not. But I think that does it for all the news for this episode, so let's go ahead and get on to our main event, where we discuss the latest DC animated film, Legion of Superheroes. Alright, The Legion of Superheroes is DC's latest direct-to-video animated film and the sixth film in the Tomorrowverse DC animated film continuity that began with Superman Man of Tomorrow. This film has direct ties to the second film in the Tomorrowverse, Justice Society World War II, which briefly deals with Superman and the Flash battling Brainiac. We reviewed that film, it sucked, 
And honestly, <laughs> I can't say Legion of Superheroes was much better, unfortunately. Yeah. Normally, we include a spoiler warning at the top of our reviews for films we recommend watching. But with this film, I'm going to say that, like, unless you're a big Supergirl or Legion of Superheroes fan, you could probably skip this film. And even then, Supergirl and Legion fans are most likely going to be pretty disappointed. Well, maybe not Supergirl fans, but definitely Legion fans. Yeah, we haven't done too many duels. Actually, any duels with any of the Legion of Superhero characters. And shame on me for that, because there's some really cool characters, and I hope to eventually do them down the line and lead up probably to some kind of team duel episode with the Legion team. That would be fun, yeah. Now, after the success of Batman The Long Halloween and Green Lantern Beware My Power, I thought, based on how good the trailers looked for this film, that the Tomorrowverse was on the upswing after it struggled at the gate with Superman Men of Tomorrow and Justice Society World War II. All of the films in the Tomorrowverse so far have had fantastic premises and setups, though now half of them had failed to deliver on that, including Legion of Superheroes, which is something of a misnomer considering it has very little to do with the Legion of Superheroes. Like, I was actually really disheartened by how little the Legion is involved in this film. Well, at least the primary characters, because we have this, like, B-team of Legionnaires that are semi-prominent within the annals of the team. You know, the team is massive. You know, there are literally hundreds of characters on the Legion of Superheroes, but we didn't really get to see the main players here, like Saturn Girl, Cosmic Boy, Lightning Lad. Those founding members really only make a brief appearance. You're right. The Legion of Superheroes, like, easily has the largest roster of any superhero team ever in comics. And that includes the X-Men. Yeah, exactly. It's massive. So I'm really confused as to why they would want to do or even think of doing a Legion of Superheroes film without its main founders. Well, really, it's because they're setting up their own, you know, Tomorrowverse continuity. And this really focuses on, you know, building the Superman portion of that universe. But I think they named this film Legion of Superheroes to throw people off. That's really weird because I figure if you put Superman or Supergirl or any character with like some brand recognition in the title, a lot more people would be interested in seeing the film. Well, look at Justice Society World War II. How much clout does the Justice Society brand have with general audiences? Certainly not more than Wonder Woman or The Flash, who were the primary characters of that movie. A lot of weird choices here. Totally. It's like, yeah, what's going on? Now, I mentioned that the premises of each of the Tomorrowverse films has been really good, and this one is no exception. The premise of this film is that Supergirl is struggling to adapt to Earth culture after the destruction of Krypton, so Superman takes her to the 31st century, where she can train with fellow teen heroes in the Legion of Superheroes in a futuristic society more akin to her life on Krypton. While on the team, she comes into conflict with Brainiac 5, a clone of Superman's villain from 1,000 years prior. Now, in certain media, Brainiac is often involved with, if not directly responsible for, the destruction of Krypton, such as, you know, Superman the Animated Series, Smallville, Krypton, and most recently and successfully, Injustice 2, the latter of which was shown to be very traumatic for Supergirl, who witnessed Brainiac's invasion of her homeworld before the planet was destroyed by him. It's established in the Legion of Superheroes film, however, that in the Tomorrowverse, Krypton was destroyed when its red sun, Rao, went supernova, which is a take on Krypton's destruction that we've also seen in various media, such as the movie Superman Returns. I don't mind that premise, as I think it's probably like the best explanation for why Kryptonite is irradiated, 
But I think it was a huge mistake in this film to not have Brainiac responsible for Krypton's destruction and have Supergirl be witness to it because it would have been a much better reason for Supergirl's inherent initial distrust of Brainiac, you know, rather than what we got with Superman telling Supergirl off screen that he once fought a villain named Brainiac. Right, because, you know, the fight against Brainiac was a really brief scene from Justice Society World War II where the Flash and Superman teamed up for the first time. That fight was really over in a matter of less than a minute and really didn't feel like it had a large enough bearing to warrant this type of reaction from Supergirl. Yeah, if they were planning on using the Justice Society film to set Brainiac up for this film, like they could not have done a worse job. Yeah. Like they really set themselves up for failure because Brainiac was taken out so easily in the Justice Society movie. Really, it was just the Flash who like threw a kryptonite bullet at him and it was done. Right. And in our review of that movie, I had commented how it seemed so quick and easy for the Flash to defeat Brainiac. Yeah. So dumb. I really hate how much happens off screen in these Tomorrowverse films. Like in Green Lantern, they were like, oh, yeah, the Justice League is off world, like battling this huge threat. It's like, what is that threat? And here it's like, oh, yeah, the Legion of Superheroes are off world fighting this huge threat. It's like, why aren't we seeing that? (laughs) And we never got to see the introduction between the Legion and Superman, which served as a big backdrop to this story. Yeah, I mean, screenwriters are often told that they should show, not tell. Like, instead of having a character say that they're hungry, you, like, show a character looking down at his stomach as it growls and he's clutching it. You know, something like that. I hate that the Tomorrowverse does so much telling and not showing. They really need to fix that in the future going forward. But back to Brainiac destroying Krypton, how did the writers miss that? Like, it's way more interesting for Supergirl to fall in love with the descendant of the being that committed genocide on her people and planet than what we got here. Like, that's a way more powerful story of forgiveness and overcoming grief, and it Mm -hmm. practically writes itself. Absolutely. That would have been better. Like, the failure to grasp that low-hanging fruit is the biggest sin of the filmmakers for this film. But it's not their only one. For DC, story and theme are the absolute key to success. And the writing on Legion of Superheroes is so embarrassingly bad and confusing, from its lackluster mystery and problematic romance to its pointless cameos and too-little-too-late stakes, that I probably would have just turned the movie off if I didn't have to review it. Which hurts me to say. It hurts me. Like, I love DC. I'm not easily shamed by it. Like, I'm a total DC apologist. The main reason I didn't turn the movie off, though, was because of how great it looked. From the action and the backgrounds to the character designs and, most notably, the animated facial performances, my good gosh, it was a sight to behold. We've seen Supergirl and the Legionnaires in animated form before, but this is hands down the best they have ever looked. And as a fan of the comics, it is so cool to see these characters come to life. The animation on this film was much better than previous iterations. I think even better than Beware My Power. I think it was on par with Batman The Long Halloween. Although it wasn't nearly as stylistic, it was still a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, the Tomorrowverse animation just keeps getting better and better and better. It's the character designs. Yeah. They're just very unique and well done. Absolutely. Now, for as good as the characters looked, I also thought their voice performances were almost equally on point. But let's get more to that in our character breakdown. Now, Supergirl, a.k.a. Kara Zor-El, was voiced by Meg Donnelly, who you're probably only familiar with if you have young daughters like me who are fans of Disney's Zombies film franchise, which is (laughs) like if Twilight meets High School Musical. (laughs) 
Meg Donnelly is an admittedly decent actress, and I thought she gave a great performance as Supergirl. So much so that if you told me tomorrow that she was cast as Supergirl for the upcoming movie, like I wouldn't even be angry at all. James Gunn's movie? Yeah, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow. Now, Supergirl's arc in this film revolves around coming to terms with the life she lost on Krypton, specifically both the opportunity to make her mother proud and the advanced technology. But when we see her early on confront a guy upset that she destroyed his home in this battle with Solomon Grundy about how he should just rebuild it with robots, she comes across as more let them eat cake entitled than endearing as a character. Like it's really hard to pity her despite her loss. And it was hard to take her troubles seriously when she forgot about them so quickly when she met pretty boy Monel in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, between her attitude toward collateral damage and her like immediate infatuation with Monel and just her real petty attitude to Brainiac 5. She came off as kind of a dick and a really unlikable protagonist in this movie for the first half. Yeah, she was kind of like a bully. Yeah, and I know that, you know, leaves space for the protagonist to grow into a better person, but you got to give us more redeeming qualities up front in order for us to, like, enjoy watching this person go on that journey. Exactly. Now, she stayed in the future because of Monel, yet didn't pursue any kind of relationship with him because she became so obsessed and competitive with Brainiac 5. So when I saw her falling for Brainiac 5, I couldn't help but feel like it was the most egregious example of negging I've ever seen. (laughs) And she fell for it. Yeah. Like, even though there's precedence for Brainiac 5 and Supergirl's romantic relationship in the comics, it just felt weird and wrong in this movie for me, especially after Supergirl essentially chose Brainiac 5 over her own mother after interfacing with the Miracle Machine at the end of the movie. Well, it was implied that she couldn't bring her mother back without destroying reality, although that's all a little bit unclear. You're right. Yeah. Brainiac was like, like, don't bring back Krypton. You're going to break reality. And I'm like, why? What? Like, that's not how the miracle machine works in the comics. I I didn't quite get it. It was nice that Supergirl got one last moment to say goodbye to her mother and let her know that, you know, she's making her proud by doing the protective work they always dreamed of doing together on Krypton. But the climax was so confusing that it was really hard to appreciate that moment. Yeah, they were like astral projections of themselves at one point. It was kind of hard to tell what was real and what was like a dream machine induced fantasy type thing. Yeah, one moment you see like Brainiac 5 get like dusted. I was like, what? It was like he was there in spirit somehow, but he was also still there physically. It was very bizarre. It was a very bizarre moment. I'm just really curious to see like how that was scripted. Because I guarantee you that like probably made no sense on the page because it made even less sense on screen. Yeah, the animators were like, wait, wait, am I drawing the Supergirl that's working the dream machine or like this weird astral version of the character that's communicating with other people? The director was just like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Moving on to Brainiac 5, he was voiced by Harry Shum Jr. of Glee fame, I guess. I've never seen Glee, but I'm not surprised Shum was on the show because his voice is great. And I thought he gave a convincing Brainiac 5 performance, just like very robotic, but with like a touch of emotion and humanity to it. Yeah, he played the part of the outcast really well. In the movie, we learn that Brainiac 5 hacked his way onto the Legion Academy roster in order to steal the Miracle Machine before other Brainiacs, as they wanted to give it to the mysterious Dark Circle secret criminal organization. 
Proud of his intellect, yet scorned because of his connection to Superman's adversary, Brainiac 5 wanted to prove that he was an individual and not doomed to the same fate as other Brainiac clones. He was the only one smart enough to recognize the Dark Circle's existence and mission to hack the Legion Vault, yet he knew no one would believe or trust him until Supergirl did. It's a decent arc, and the character is essentially the antagonist for the first half of the film as he and Supergirl compete in the Academy. His arrogant and logical characterization is true to the comics, and he's probably the most faithfully adapted main character in the film, so I have very little qualms with him. I thought they did a great job with Brainiac 5. I still think it's really surprising how he ended up winning Supergirl's affections without even trying. When they started like growing close to each other, both me and my wife were like, bullshit. Both Just goes to show, if you're one. like an arrogant nerd, the girls will come. <laughs> Yeah, girls are really impressed when you fight them really well. <laughs> Jeez. What? No, that's, that's crazy. not true. What a horrible lesson to like yeah. <laughs> teach kids <laughs> with these cartoons. Uh, moving on to Brainiac 5's namesake, though, Brainiac. I have a ton of qualms with Brainiac. Like, Yeah, what the hell was this? I love Brainiac as a villain, but it's so hard for writers to get him right. Like in this film, Brainiac has a god complex and considers himself the savior of the universe. Well, he believed that he was the only one in the universe smart enough to take on the dangers that are coming in the future. But I'd actually think that the Brainiac from the comics would never believe that. Like, he's more interested in valuable information. He's not trying to save anybody. That's like the least interesting take on Brainiac I've ever heard of. I can't say I was surprised that Brainiac ended up being the main villain, but I was very surprised that the writers decided to have him incorporate Brainiacs 2 through 4 into his body. Like, of course that was going to go bad. And it went so <laughs> embarrassingly bad, so embarrassingly fast, I'd be crying if I wasn't laughing at how stupid it was. That shit had me rolling in the aisles when, like, all of a sudden his body became like Quato from uh, Total Recall. Right. And started fighting against itself. There was no reason why the filmmakers couldn't just give Brainiac, like, a robotic body or a fully cloned body. Right. And instead chose to, like, make him this weird composite of previous Brainiacs, all with apparently their own mind still residing Bizarre. within him. Like a thousand years of planning and secretly controlling the Dark Circle, only for it all to be undone in an instant. Like when Brainiac literally tore his body in half, killing himself because he was like suddenly <laughs> unable to control the clones he attached to his body. It was so yeah. anticlimactic and absurd <laughs> and deus ex machina. I cannot believe they released the film, honestly. Yeah. If I was one of the members of the Black Circle and I witnessed that, I would have been so fucking disappointed in myself <laughs> for like putting all of my faith and energy into this fucking dumbass. Basically, <laughs> like, did the heroes really even need to save the day, considering that these Brainiac characters would have been fighting over this power likely regardless out of their own arrogance? Right. It's like Brainiac did the work for them. It's so dumb. Moving on to the other villain, Monel, surprise villain. Monel's history is so complicated in the comics. I thought making him an admirer of Kryptonian culture in this film was an adequate interpretation of the character, though using the admiration as motivation to betray the Legion didn't quite make sense to me. Like, we get it. Krypton was orderly and advanced, but why would allowing Brainiac to become a god restore the pride of Krypton, quote unquote? He was wrong, and Supergirl yeah. like told him that blatantly. Monel is a Doxamite? Daxamite? Daxamite, yeah. And they're similar to Kryptonians. Is that correct? 
Yes, yeah, their planet is very similar to Krypton. It orbits a red sun. They are weak to lead, though. They're kind of like opposite Kryptonians. And, and they're actually very xenophobic. Like, they very rarely leave their planet. So most of the time, they're not, like, absorbing solar radiation to even gain superpowers. Has Monel ever betrayed the team in the history of the Legion? Not that I know of, no. So well, I thought it was like, really the, lame for Monel fans then. Yeah, yeah, very lame. I mean, like, in some iterations of the Legion of Superheroes, Monel was such a heroic figure that he inspired the formation of the team. Like, sometimes it's Superman or Superboy, but even in some iterations, it's Monel. He's that integral to the team. He's been their leader. I have no idea why they would choose to make him the villain. Like the final villain. Like he survived longer than Brainiac did. Right. And when he was defeated, the threat was finally over. Right. Because it seemed like he was going to carry on the work of the Dark Circle even after Brainiac's death. Right. Yeah. He was trying to get Supergirl to join him. Just bad, weird writing throughout the whole film. So much so that like I don't even have too many other characters to go over. Like I just have like quick recaps of all the other Legionnaires. There's Dawnstar, who's one of my favorite Legionnaires in the comics. I liked her inclusion here. Though I didn't love the energy wings. Like, in the comics, she has actual wings. Oh, interesting. Does she still have, like, the super tracking ability in the comics? Yeah, she could track anyone across the universe. It's pretty cool. I wonder why she didn't do that, like, earlier. I guess the cadets didn't really know that the Legion was missing. But it's kind of strange that the head Legionnaires didn't, like, ask her for her help earlier. Right. Yeah, totally. And that raises a weird issue, like... What were the Legionnaires doing? They were off in space, but they were gone for such a long time. And then all of a sudden, they just happened to be found in this system. And then they came back like lickety split. Like, what the hell was going on there? Some off-screen bullshit? (laughs) Who knows? It's like, oh, we'll only arrive when it's convenient for the story. Exactly. Even then, barely. We'll only arrive if we're a pointless cameo. And that's all you're getting from us. Yeah. (laughs) And moving on to Triplicate Girl... I can't decide if it was cheap or clever that they killed one of her duplicates. Like, I thought that, like, really raised the stakes. Like, oh, shit, the Dark Circle is, like, killing members of the Academy off. But then it was like, nope, we lied. Well, I was super confused during Triplicate Girl's fight against them as to why she didn't just replicate herself to aid in the battle. Right. And then it all made sense later when it turned out that it was actually a replicate that died. Arms Fall Off Boy was in this movie, and I'm pretty sure he was only included because of the Suicide Squad. I don't know. He was pretty funny, though. I liked when they were introducing him. That was actually probably my favorite part of the movie was the Legionnaire introductions, because they all seemed like really fucking lame. And uh, (laughs) they're like, this is Arms Fall Off Boy. And like his arm just falls off like it doesn't do anything. And, And he's like, and sometimes they even stay on. And Supergirl's like, cool. Yep. Yeah. And then at the end. He was like, wait, we can change our names? Then I want to be Arms Fall Off Man. <laughs> he was great. Not any better. Yeah. There was an Invisible Kid, who I'm pretty sure was just included so they could set up like a is he naked joke. That's yeah. like the only reason. Well, he did some covert stuff, so. Although I guess he wasn't really needed when you had Phantom Girl, who did more of the heavy lifting in terms of, you know, rescuing the captured Legionnaires. Exactly, yeah. She was pretty integral to like the whole final battle, which... Can't be said about Bouncing Boy, really, like, he was just in the movie, and that's it. Yeah, he bounced a few times. And there you go. Of course, we also had Timberwolf, Chemical King, and Shadow Lass in there for some reason, as sort of replacements for Cosmic Boy, Saturn Girl, and Lightning Lad. As we mentioned earlier, not entirely clear why they decided to go that direction, but it was a mistake. What was the name of the Wolverine knockoff? Uh, Timberwolf. 
Timberwolf, what a Wolverine knockoff that guy was. <laughs> Holy shit. Looked just like him, had basically the exact same powers. I think for a while we were considering doing a duel between Timberwolf and Wolfsbane from the New Mutants. Who knows? Maybe we'll still do that down the line. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it would be nice to get to some of the Legionnaires, regardless of how lame they are. There's some cool Legionnaires, dude. Like Cosmic Boy, like Ultra Boy, Star Boy, Saturn Girl. They're really cool. I'll believe it when I hear it. Someday. Someday you will. Uh, Moving on to the story highlights, the film begins on Krypton with Kara and her mother Allura training together. Allura reveals that Kara has been accepted to Krypton's military guild before their red son, Rao, becomes unstable, igniting Krypton's atmosphere and causing planet-wide earthquakes. Before Allura can fully explain what's going on, she puts her daughter in one of the working escape pods out of thousands that fail to activate, and Kara is jettisoned from Krypton before it explodes. Her ship is knocked off course, and she arrives on Earth decades after her cousin Kal-El, who grew to be Superman. It seems like Allura had a much more selfless plan to save people in lead up to the upcoming destruction of Krypton. Jor-El obviously told Allura about his theories of what was to come, but Jor-El only built a ship for one person, his son, whereas Allura built ships for like the entire city of Argo. Now, a lot of them didn't work, right. but like her plan was much better. Well, I think Jor-El was just probably more practical and knew that he couldn't do that, whereas she... I guess she tried. Yeah, Jorel didn't even try. And he probably knew about this longer. He probably could have saved a whole lot more people than just his son hey, if what? Stop badmouthing Jorel. <laughs> He's a good father. He just made him look bad. I feel like I was like, "Holy shit, look at all these other pods that could have gone out." Like Alura seemed like way better at this rescue mission thing than Jorel did. Hey, she's lucky she got one of them to work. Okay. She's no scientist. Now, despite struggling to adjust to life on Earth, Kara adopts the mantle of Supergirl and helps her cousin stop Solomon Grundy in Metropolis before noticing suspicious characters, members of the Dark Circle, in a nearby alley. She overhears Batman comment to Superman that she's not as trained or as careful as her cousin, and she flies off offended. Now, what did the Dark Circle have anything to do with this whole scene? They were trying to, I guess get Solomon Grundy to kill Superman for them so it was easier for them to get to Brainiac? I have no idea. That's a total guess and I could totally be wrong. It seems like they were able to get to Brainiac just fine. I mean, it was Batman who stopped them. Right. But Superman didn't have anything to do with that anyway. So so I don't understand why they employed Solomon Grundy. Yeah, this was like very uncharacteristic for Solomon Grundy as well. Like him even using a laser rifle to begin with. It was like, what? What are they doing? I was like, good thing we didn't use that in the duel episode against Werewolf by Night. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if I would have known that, I would have just been packing in that duel episode. Really, it was just a way to show that the Dark Circle, you know, has been around for a thousand years, I think. It seemed totally unnecessary to their plot at large. It it was. It absolutely was. What's interesting is that we never actually see the Dark Circle get a hold of Brainiac's body. You know, we saw an attempt that was stopped by Batman, but you would think that if Batman stopped him, it would change the future so that they never did retrieve his head. Yeah, that made no sense, like, whatsoever. That led nowhere. I thought we were going to keep, like, flashing back to the past and maybe see, like, the Dark Circle become successful. But no, as far as we know, we didn't see them be successful. Once again, off-screen bullshit. Yeah. 
Now, at the Kent farm in Smallville, Supergirl and Superman have a heart-to-heart conversation. Superman uses a time bubble given to him by the Legion of Superheroes to open a portal to the future, where he introduces Supergirl to the advanced world of the 31st century and the Legion of Superheroes. Meanwhile, in the 21st century, Batman stops the Dark Circle from stealing Brainiac's head, or whatever they were trying to do. After meeting Monel, Supergirl agrees to stay in the 31st century and train with the Legion Academy. After meeting her roommate Dawnstar, Supergirl mistakes fellow Legion cadet Brainiac 5 for her cousin's villain and the two fight. They are reprimanded by the acting heads of the Legion, Timberwolf, Chemical King, and Shadowlass, before being asked to leave. Brainiac 5 listens in secret to the Legionnaires in Charge talk about how they're not sure how Brainiac 5 made it into the Academy and how they're concerned that they're unable to communicate with the rest of the Legion off-world. I did think that the fight between Brainiac 5 and Supergirl was pretty cool. Uh, It's always kind of neat to see how Brainiac 5 uses his technology to like go toe-to-toe with someone as powerful as Supergirl or Superman. It was pretty interesting how he used his like kinetic force field that would get stronger the more she attacked it. And then Supergirl turned that around on him by solidifying it so much that it stuck into the ground and then she like launched him from the ground. Right. It's pretty interesting. It really seemed, though, that the movie was trying to sow seeds of distrust against Brainiac 5. But I wasn't having that from the get go because I was like, Brainiac 5 is a good guy, you know? Right. So I was just waiting for the other shoot to drop to find out like who we really weren't supposed to trust. To be fair, I didn't know it was Monel until later. I knew it was going to be him, honestly, from the artwork that they used on the back cover for this movie. It has Supergirl like holding back Monel from fighting Brainiac 5. And this whole movie, I was like waiting for those two characters to come to blows. So I kind of realized that, yeah, Monel is probably going to be the one to betray them. Interesting. Way to spoil it, DC. <laughs> <laughs> now Monel introduces Kara to the rest of the Academy cadets, Bouncing Boy, Invisible Kid, Triplicate Girl, and Arms Fall Off Boy. As Supergirl learns and trains at the Academy, she bitterly competes with Brainiac 5, though after a drone their building goes rogue, they eventually begin to grasp that they work better together as a team. After hearing from Dawnstar how no one likes Brainiac 5 and feels he doesn't belong, Supergirl begins to pity him. Now, while Triplicate Girl is out at night looking for their class pet, Prody, she's attacked and killed by members of the Dark Circle. Supergirl is also out at night and spots Brainiac 5 outside the Legion Vault, where she attempts to apologize to him. When they spot Triplicate Girl dead, Brainiac 5 is immediately attacked and subdued by the three Legionnaires in charge, who reveal that Brainiac 5 hacked his way into Legion Academy and planted a virus that's preventing them from communicating with the rest of the Legion. Accused of killing Triplicate Girl, Brainiac 5 confesses to the hacking, but not the killing, whom he blames on the Dark Circle before being imprisoned. Now, I notice he doesn't deny halting communication between the Legion out in space and the Legion headquarters, so I'm still unclear as to who is responsible for that. Well, it would have made stealing the machine easier for him, so he had reason to do it. But it also would have made, like, tackling the Dark Circle with the small group that the Legion had more difficult. But he was so arrogant that he probably didn't think that he would need their help. Yeah, maybe. Now, Supergirl, having seen glimpses of the Dark Circle in the 31st century, sneaks to Brainiac 5's holding cell, where she learns from him that he cheated his way into the Academy to prevent his family from stealing the Miracle Machine from the Legion vaults. 
Believing the Dark Circle is already at Legion headquarters, Supergirl frees Brainiac and they head to the vault where they meet Monel, who joins them. And this is where I was like, oh, yeah, he's a bad guy. Yeah. Once inside the vault, Supergirl and Monel help neutralize its security drones as Brainiac 5 deciphers the code to access the Miracle Machine, at which point Monel reveals himself as a traitor allied with the Dark Circle and stabs Supergirl with a Kryptonite dagger. With the vault unlocked, the Dark Circle attacks the Legion headquarters and brings everyone down. At that moment, the original Brainiac, fused with the bodies of Brainiacs 2 through 4, reveals himself as the leader of the Dark Circle who successfully captured and restored him 1,000 years ago. Brainiac 5 manages to escape with Supergirl and heals her of her kryptonite wound. Allegedly, Brainiac 5 was the only one smart enough to get in, and it turned out all along that they used him in order to break in. Right. So you have this instance of where the main motivation of one of the primary characters is completely pointless. Like, if he didn't have that motivation, there would have been no movie, essentially. Right? It's true. Like, if he was the only one who could open it, and, like, not even Brainiac apparently could, even though he considers himself to be the smartest being in the universe... then yeah if he would have just like not done anything the black circles plan would have never come to fruition yeah so it's like this weird circular logic and it doesn't really hold up the plot very well no yeah like it should have been made clear that like brainiac could have unlocked the code if he wanted to just that brainiac 5 did it before him yeah Phantom Girl helps Brainiac 5 and Supergirl hide from the Dark Circle and reveals that all of the cadets are alive, including two duplicates of Triplicate Girl, but are in prison. Phantom Girl rescues the other cadets, and together they orchestrate a plan to bring down the Dark Circle and stop Brainiac. While the cadets fend off the Dark Circle and Monel, Supergirl and Brainiac 5 confront Brainiac at the Miracle Machine, which has been activated. With Supergirl and Brainiac 5 unable to reach Brainiac, Brainiac 5 instead initiates a rebellion amongst Brainiacs 2 through 4, who begin to emerge from Brainiac's body and try to gain control of the Miracle Machine. To prevent this from happening, Brainiac rips himself apart. (laughs) Still so dumb. So dumb. Can you tell me more about what was happening with what energy Brainiac was spreading across the universe? It was like this reality warping energy, right? Yeah. He was essentially just rewriting creation in his own image, I guess you could say. The Miracle Machine turns thought into reality. It's sort of like a super Green Lantern ring. It was made by the controllers who were an offshoot of the Guardians on Oa. Oh, interesting. So it's, it's like a super Green Lantern ring that just turns thought into reality, like I said. But the insinuation here was that in rewriting reality, you're destroying it. I guess he was and, rewriting it so much that it was going to break or something. I have I have no idea, honestly. It makes me wonder if Kara couldn't just rewrite reality to be exactly as it was, but with Krypton or her mom still around, what the issue with that would be. Yeah, that's the big question. I have no idea. That left me like dumbfounded. It seemed like if she could use the machine correctly, everything could have worked out for her. But she chose not to. Because Brainiac 5 told her it would break reality. Yeah, but then she could just rewrite it. Like, I, I, I don't get it. Exactly. What the hell happened right exactly. there? Yeah. Now, Supergirl takes control of the miracle machine to undo changes to reality that Brainiac had caused. Realizing she could bring back Krypton and her mother in the process, Brainiac 5 convinces her to instead restore reality to what it was to prevent it from breaking and to send the miracle machine to a different reality. At least I, I think that's what happened. I'm not sure why it needed to be sent to a new reality at all. 
If she sent it to a new reality, did she destroy that reality? And what reality did she send it to? I don't know if any realities were destroyed. I think Brainiac's reality was just like undone. But why she needed to send it to another reality, does that mean like another Earth? Like Earth 3 or something like that? I don't know. What are the consequences to that reality? Exactly. Exactly. In the comics, the Miracle Machine was supposed to be like also a precursor to New God tech, which might have something to do with the post credit scene. I'm not entirely sure. We'll see, I guess. Now, as the cadets gain the upper hand against the Dark Circle, Manel attempts to retreat, only to be confronted by Supergirl, who defeats him, just as the rest of the Legion returns. Brainiac 5 and Supergirl share a kiss, and the credits roll. In a post credit scene, Supergirl introduces Brainiac 5 to Superman as her boyfriend through a time bubble. When the bubble closes, Superman and Batman wax cryptic about some threat before gazing upon a lava pit in the middle of a city and are zapped by a massive laser from space before vanishing and a lava pit now in their stead. Oh, they're setting up some kind of fight with the apocalypse. Maybe. Like, the lava pit was not that big. Like, it was the size of, like, five school buses. And then when they got zapped, that was only as big as, like, a small sofa. I don't know if that was like a Zeta beam that hit them, but they essentially like disintegrated. They weren't Omega beams? No, it was a blue beam from space. Oh, interesting. Now we've established Zeta beams in this universe already. So that is possibly what happened here. Yeah, it seems unlikely that they would go the route of Apocalypse considering that the battle against Darkseid was the main narrative behind the previous DC animated universe. Right. So like why retread that old territory? Yeah. Considering the fact that the next Tomorrowverse film is going to be the first Justice League film, uh, and it's going to be called Justice League War World, I imagine they're going a Mongol route rather than a dark side route. Oh, that'll be cool. I've been wanting to do a dual episode between Mongol and Annihilus for a while. So when that movie comes out, that might be a good time to do that. Oh, that's a good matchup. Yeah, that's not bad at all. But uh, ultimately, that does it for this movie. I thought, you know, even though it's visually striking, the poorly written film suffers from numerous story issues that will disappoint fans and leave casual viewers scratching their heads. I'm rating it two out of five stars, which matches our same rating for Justice Society World War II. I thought this was equally as bad. And for Rotten Tomatoes, I'm giving it a Rotten Tomato. I don't know if I necessarily would have gone that harsh because I do think that I liked this film a little bit more than Justice Society World War II. I think the visuals were a little bit better and the story, while largely nonsensical, held up just a little bit better than that Justice Society movie did. This one at least held up a little bit better structurally. So I I would give it like two and a half stars, but it's almost like, you know, a turd's a turd. So either way, I wouldn't recommend it. That's fair. Okay, you know what? Two and a half stars. You convinced me. If I could get away with it, sure. Two and a half. Maybe I'd just forgotten how bad Justice Society World War II was. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah. Okay. Two and a half stars. That's my final offer. And that's what we're going to go with. I mean, there's a lot to question here, but I also think there are better answers for those questions. Marginally so. Yeah. I think it squeaks by a little bit more so. Cool. Well, you know that does it for this review. Let us know what you thought about the movie by writing to us at dynamicdualpodcast at gmail.com or by visiting us on Instagram or Twitter. You can find links to all of our accounts by checking out our show notes or visiting our website dynamicduel.com.
And on our site, you can also find a link to our Patreon page where you can join our Dynamic 2.0 tier to chat with us and fellow listeners, our Fantastic Four tier, which gets you bonus content each month, or our X-Force tier that makes you an executive producer of this podcast. If you can't join Patreon, you can still support the show by signing up for our e-newsletter, also at dynamicduel.com. In our next episode, in lead up to our team duel between the Flash Rogues and the Brotherhood of Mutants, we will be pitting Madame Rouge, the Doom Patrol villain, against Mystique, the X-Men villain. But that does it for this episode. We want to give a big thanks to our executive producers, Ken Johnson, John Starosky, Zachary Hepburn, Dustin Balcom, Mickey Matanguian, Brandon Estragard, Nathaniel Wagner, Levi Yaton, Nick Abanto, Austin Wisolowski, AJ Dunkerley, Scott Camacho, and Gil Camacho for helping make this podcast possible. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Up, up, and away. True believers. <laughs>